Hi, everybody. Before we get into the episode, I just want to offer a little Toyota Untold Intel. We got so excited talking about Toyota's environmental Mm -hmm. initiatives that we flipped two words, but they're big ones. So when you hear us say 2050 challenge, what we mean is challenge 2050. Maybe you'll catch it, maybe you won't, but we just wanted to clarify. Okay, now on to the show. Happy Earth Month, everyone. We have a very special episode of Toyota Untold today where we are paying homage to beautiful Mother Earth. You may know that Toyota is an environmental leader through our creation of the OG hybrid vehicle, the Prius. Shout out to the Prius owners. We like to say that we are hybrid before hybrid was cool. But our commitment to the environment goes beyond our cars. We like to focus on being environmentally sustainable in everything that we do. So today, we're going to have several guests that talk about some of those environmental strategies. Hi, welcome to Toyota Untold. Today, we have a guest host, Russ Cobley, Communications Manager, Advanced Technology. Hi, Allison. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having me. Today, we're going to talk to Kevin Butt, Toyota's General Manager of Environmental Sustainability. Kevin's day job is figuring out how our environmental strategy can affect our operations here in North America. Good morning. How are you? Doing fantastic, Kevin. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I think maybe one place where we want to start is it, tell us what you do, how you, you manage environmental sustainability, and, and kind of what Toyota's priorities are, why we care, how we do what we do, why it matters. Sure, that's that's a that's a pretty big topic, yeah. but we'll uh, we'll start with Toyota has forever embraced the concept of environmental sustainability. It's a part of uh, our Earth Charter. It's a part of the new 2050 Challenge, which lays out our vision for moving forward in the sustainability field. How we go about that is, you know, uh, developing targets you know, incremental targets that will uh, allow our team members and uh, to move in a direction that will reduce our environmental footprint in carbon, water, materials, uh, and improve our footprint in biodiversity. One of the concepts that's important here at Toyota is being a good corporate citizen. Can you relate that to our environmental initiatives? Absolutely. I think you know, in environment and environmental improvement is the right thing to do. Uh, as we uh, manufacture our product or our product is driven on the road, or we have an, uh, an obligation there as well to do what is right to the community around us. Uh, and that's the, the people that live around our facilities uh, that we manufacture uh, and to provide our customers a product that allows them to make a conscious decision of what they want their footprint to be in the environment. So whether it's a hybrid vehicle or the exciting fuel cell vehicles, those are options that we can give our our customers and the community to make a good decision on how they impact the environment. So Kevin, you mentioned the uh, 2050 challenge. Is that something that was kind of the impetus for Toyota's environmental operations or is, is this something that goes back before this challenge was put together? Can you give us a little insight into that? Sure. Toyota, since day one, has had uh, what we call the Toyota Earth Charter. And within that Earth Charter and the guidelines that are associated with that, has laid out for, for years uh, our responsibility as a corporate uh, entity to treat the environment in a respectful way. So the 2050 challenge has come much later. 
and as a renewed target for us to have a greater impact into what we do and how we can uh, reduce our footprint. So perhaps you could just tell us, what will we have done by 2050? What do we hope to have done? What is our goal by 2050, let's say? So the 2050 challenge is a series of six actual challenges. Uh, the first challenge is uh, centered around the product in which we, we develop. That target is a 90% reduction of tailpipe emissions, particularly CO2, uh, in all new vehicles by 2050. Uh, the second challenge is probably the most difficult challenge that we have, and that deals with uh, our supply base. Uh, and how do we get our suppliers to join us in this effort to reduce CO2? And in that challenge, it states that we will have our supply base also achieve a zero CO2 output from their operations. As you can imagine, that's going to be a, a difficult challenge, but one that is necessary to, you know, make a scalable change in how we are moving about to reduce our carbon footprint. The third challenge is zero CO2 out of our manufacturing operations. And that also is a, is a very difficult challenge, but we're going about that systematically and developing renewable energy on-site as well as um, off-site uh, energy purchase of all renewable types. So that's the, the third challenge. The fourth challenge is that of a water challenge. You know, we all know that water is becoming a huge issue on a global basis. We know of water wars. We know of, if you remember South Africa last year, uh, where the city was about to run out of water uh, due to the change. Uh, so water, not just water quantity, but the water quality is, a, it is an important issue. We all want fresh, drinkable water. So how do we as a company uh, reduce our, our use of water? But how can we affect water quality as we discharge water back to the receiving streams or to a wastewater treatment plant? So our target in this area is to set an absolute reduction number, how many gallons we will reduce in use. The next challenge is that of a, a material challenge. And by materials, it's kind of an interesting concept. What we really want to do is create a society that believes in recycling. How can we all recycle or repurpose the materials that we use? To me, that's, that's a very important thing. And we need to educate the public on what that really means. A lot of people might want to make an environmental conscious decision, but they just don't know what, what the options are. So that's part of this uh, challenge as well, is to educate people, not our team members, the communities that surround us, but also uh, the, uh, the, the country at large. Here are the options that you have, and which is very important to, for them to know. And we like to believe that people who have that choice would make the choice to do something that is more beneficial to the environment. The last challenge we have is that one uh, surrounding biodiversity. And that one's a little more difficult to for people to understand why a car manufacturing company would actually be involved in improvement of biodiversity and, and habitat. Can you uh, just kind of walk us through what biodiversity entails for our listeners who are still, you know, kind of coming up to speed on that? Sure. Biodiversity is, is basically the, the habitat that surrounds us, right? From water, streams, trees, ponds, at, that's a habitat. 
We all live within a habitat. And what we're talking about here in a biohabitat is those areas, let's just break it down to a simple, your backyard is a biohabitat. And the biodiversity of species, plants and animals that are in your backyard make up that, that habitat. So what we're saying when we are involved in habitat uh, improvement, we want to be able to, in our own lands, on our corporate properties, to be able to improve the, the habitat for whatever animals and species of plants might be there. Whether it's the monarch butterfly, whether it's a, uh, a bat or an owl, or it's a species of plant. Coyotes, coyotes, lots of different, whatever, yeah. whatever it is. So we want to be able to improve that habitat so that that diversity continues to thrive. Studies have shown that habitat and good biodiverse habitat improves water quality, the air we breathe, and there's actually studies that have been done uh, in the forests where you know bees are becoming a an endangered. Uh, species uh, for a lot of reasons, but foresters have determined that if they take, put a hundred new beehives at the edge of their forest, that over time, the rate of growth and the biodiversity in animals and plant life increases 50% due to the, the activities of those bees, mm-hmm. which is, are our pollinators. So it's really kind of a, an amazing phenomenon to think about it that, you know, something that simple can create such a great benefit. When I think to your point earlier about the, the context around why an auto manufacturer would be in it, I mean, but we have multiple plants here in the United States. We have multiple facilities for sales, marketing, R&D, and then our dealer body, which is, you know, approximately 1,500 dealers nationwide. So when you start adding that land up, it adds up very quickly and it's something I think that we can make a huge impact with. Would you agree oh, with that? I agree. I mean, everything we're trying to talk about is, is how do we scale it, right? Toyota is just Toyota, oh, a great company that we are. Uh, it's just one entity. So how do we utilize the know-how that we have and the property that we have to use as an example so people can learn from that and then scale uh, the solutions uh, to a much larger degree? And you've had some success already uh, in the biodiversity area with different regional offices. And uh, can you give us an example of any of those? Sure. You know, one of the things that we do, uh, we, we utilize an organization called the Wildlife Habitat Council. And the Wildlife Habitat Council is an organization that works with companies to certify what they've done on their property actually is the right conservation efforts. And we monitor that. And then we gain a certification that says that we are a certified biohabitat. So that we've done that across North America at a lot of our facilities. But one of the things people don't often know that Toyota is such a great company that we actually have done work in the Galapagos Islands. Uh, We've been in the islands and helped them develop uh, waste management practices and recycling and uh, composting that they weren't doing before. Mm And causing a lot of, you know, we all think of the Galapagos as this island that Charles Darwin was on, and it was in very pristine. But truth of the matter is, human activity has endangered that that whole 
uh, archipelago. Uh, so we were able to go down and actually work with them through our know-how of waste management, waste management practices to put them in a much better position of not contaminating the island. Mm. That's fantastic. There's a couple other projects that you've been working on. And as we, one in particular has gained a little bit of traction recently, and that's that's the use of fuel cell and fuel cell stacks in our cars, but we're also looking at fuel cell stacks to be able to do more for us. Can you give us a little background on kind of hydrogen and how Toyota sees hydrogen playing a role in the future? We as a company have decided that we want to promote a hydrogen society. Uh, We have embraced that and we believe it is one of the solutions to mobility and and providing transportation that uh, reduces our footprint. It's very exciting. And, you know, we have a car out there, the Mirai, that's on the road, and we're getting ready to have the next uh, model of that come out soon. That's just exciting. And then we've developed a 18-wheel truck that has the same technology in it that will be able to move larger cargoes uh, in our port in uh, Port of Long Beach. Uh, moving uh, Port of Long Beach and Port of Los Angeles, I believe, right? The two are connected. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And to me... That particular area is probably one of the worst. It is the worst air quality in our country. And when we think about adding these types of vehicles that can transport cleanly uh, our product in and out of that port, oh, what, a, what a benefit that is. And then to add to that, how we're generating that hydrogen for fueling those trucks is even more exciting. Uh, what we've put in place or we're putting in place is a hydrogen fuel cell that will actually be fueled by cow manure. Well, that's repurposing for you. That that's, that's, that's repurposing. That's innovative. Uh, yeah. And and so, therefore, it's a renewable, sustainable fuel that is not adding any more carbon to the to the environment. So, are you putting the cow manure in the car? Is that how we're making it? or what? <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's a little more technical. A little more that. complex than yeah. that, yeah. Okay. But at the end of the day, the methane from the cow manure is actually uh, converted to pure hydrogen and then... Uh, utilized it as a fuel cell. Fantastic. And and we're not burning hydrogen, correct? I mean, I think there's a misperception that hydrogen cars it's like a, gasoline burn the... Right. Uh, it's, it's a chemical process uh, in the fuel cell that actually converts that hydrogen then into electrons and electrons then into energy uh, to make it simple. And But there's also some other great byproducts of this. And the byproducts are pure water and also additional hydrogen. So, uh, and that additional hydrogen is where we're actually generating enough extra hydrogen to fuel these new trucks uh, at the port. Wow. Does this help us with the methane problem? Is this a, a, a way of kind of taking methane that would otherwise be negatively impacting the environment and giving it a more useful lifespan? Absolutely. I mean, this, this is not new. Uh, farmers have been taking methane from their farms for a number of years and generating electricity from that. And it's becoming more popular. Farming is a, is a, is a tough enough business to make money. So now this is another way which economically it makes sense to take what you indicated as a, as a byproduct that's been negative to the environment and creating something positive from it. That's the way this should happen. 
Well, and the upside potential of that is huge because methane is an off-gas of quite a few things that we as humans do, correct? I mean, uh, water treatment facilities, uh, sanitation, garbage dumps, uh, all put a lot of methane into the environment. So we're, as a company, Toyota's looking at kind of capturing that and creating hydrogen. Is that part of the, the long-term goal? One of the things we were talking about in advance of this interview was just how much trucking there is in the U.S., that obviously it's very concentrated at the ports because that's what they do is goods are shifted from the ships, you know, inland. But that what we call the project portal, is that? Yeah, the class eight semi-truck. Yeah, that's the code name for it, I guess you could say. It has a large national implications, doesn't it? I mean, I are the corridors where lots of trucks are moving a lot on big interstates, are those communities negatively impacted by, I guess, Carbon. Particulate matter. Particulate and yes, matter. there's, there's a lot of off-gas from trucking. Yeah, so the trucking industry for years has been trying to improve their performance. And, and it's an it's a economic impact for them as well. So the cleaner, the more efficient their vehicles can run, the less impact it has on communities and the highways in which they travel. But we all know we, we cannot be without that transportation right now. Mm-hmm how soon this country would be in chaos if the truck stopped working. First time you went to the grocery store and you didn't find any food on the shelf, you'd recognize the fact that the trucks weren't running. So we have to move in a, in a way that makes uh, economic and societal common sense of the impacts that we create by that. So that, that's where our Class 8 truck and this fuel cell truck uh, can provide a tremendous service and a change uh, in how... Uh, that trucking industry impacts uh, our air quality. What I'm learning and hearing is that everything is deeply interconnected. So how do you approach which problems to solve first? Another a very great question. We have to look at this in a, in a, in a long-term vision. Uh, unless somebody creates the cold fusion and, and solves our energy pri- problem right away, we have to prioritize how do we move forward and what makes the best business sense with the biggest impact of reducing our carbon footprint. And that's why the projects we spoke of earlier, such as the landfill gas that's generating electricity, the fuel cell vehicle, uh, those are all uh, projects that we're moving forward. But the other part that we need to, to do is concentrate on education of people. People that don't understand that they're actually causing an impact because they're not knowledgeable in its environmental uh, impact, we need to help educate them so that they can consciously make a decision of moving forward in an environmentally friendly way. Without that scale, uh, the things that we're doing in, as individual companies or individuals is, is going to be tough to make that large impact. So how are we as a company how is, and, and your team helping to educate people as individuals? So you mentioned that, you know, helping educate. But how do we do that on an individual basis to try to impact, you know, those 126,000 people who, again, have a very large network? That network grows very fast. That's one of our main goals is to, to be able to, through a number of different media, I mean, doing this podcast is, is one of those potential ways to help people understand what they do in their daily lives uh, can cause an impact, both positive and negative. And 
we have in our North American Environmental Report a, a complete chapter on environmental education. Mm. And we're trying to link everything we do to, so people can go to that site and learn what they can do individually. Let me give you an example. Things such as, uh, and I know this is an old, old uh, story, but turning a light off, right? Replacing your lamps with the LED bulbs, turning off the water when you're shaving between strokes. Or brushing your or teeth. Or brushing your teeth. Yeah. Uh, any of those simple things. But, you know, what you plant in your garden outside your home, whether it's a resistant plant, a native species, or is it an invasive species, something that could cause harm? Those are simple things that we should evaluate on a daily basis. And the one that really I think is very important, and that gets back to the recycling society concept. When you buy a product at the grocery store or at uh, any of the large box stores, look at the packaging that surrounds that product. There's a lot of waste that's there. So you can consciously decide whether you want to buy that product or look for one that's not as packaged as dense as that. You know, since I've started working with you, uh, when I go to the grocery store, and this is a small thing, I don't put my uh, vegetables in those little plastic bags anymore, right? I just put them in the in my uh, cart. Yeah. And that's saving, you know, five, six, maybe seven, you know, bags per trip for me. So, you know, it's small, impactful things like that, I think, that can can make a huge difference. And that, that's a great story right there. I mean, that's what we're talking about, that type of scale. And, you know, as I've gone to the grocery more over time, I've noticed that people, more people are bringing their own bags in mm -hmm. and not using the the bags that uh, are that provided at the store. It's those types of things that individuals can do and make a huge impact, which is really exciting to me. And the other one is th that you can think about is combining road trips. How many of us get in the car to go pick up one thing and it's five miles away, you pick it up, you come back, and then an hour later you go, oh, hey, I need to go uh, pick up something at the grocery store. That happens to me every time I do a construction project around my house. So I have to go to Home Depot like six times, but that's poor planning on my part. I, I wasn't going to go into your <laughs> contractor abilities, but uh, it may be, may be poor planning there. Uh, but those are things that are, you know, or combined trip with uh, a friend or a family member to go somewhere. I mean, nobody wants to be inconvenienced. And so the responsibility of, thus, of those people that are trying to make this improvement, we need to make it more convenient. The, if it's not convenient, a lot of people aren't going to participate. And that's unfortunate. Uh, because some of these things are complicated and it's going to require some effort uh, for people to make that change. And so that's what's kind of exciting to me in a way that we here at Toyota uh, have the ability and the capability and a company that allows us to move out into the community to help share this knowledge. And that's pretty exciting. What impact is this going to make on the consumer short-term and long-term? We've got a whole great product line. I, I understand that the... Mm -hmm. Challenge 2025 is to have each model will have an electrified version. Is that correct? We want to buy them, but, you know, how's the company, you know, helping us, the consumer, make these choices? There's, there's a lot that goes into it. And one of, it, one of the things that we're seeing currently in the environment is, is the shift from cars to trucks, right? So consumers' choices have an impact on that. But 
we see that trend and we understand that more people are moving to trucks. And as you mentioned, that's part of the reason that Toyota is looking at saying we're going to have a hybrid version for everything. So 20 years ago, we came out with the Prius. But at the same time, we actually started developing our fuel cell electric vehicle that we're selling in California, Asia, and Europe right now. A lot of that technology for Prius was developed as we were developing fuel cell electric vehicles. So there's a scalability that we see there. And we also understand that consumer behavior is something that's hard to change, right? Education is important, uh, but if you can do something and it doesn't necessarily change consumer behavior, that's a huge win for us. So that's the reason uh, when you look at Toyota uh, and, you know, there's a lot of people that say we should jump right to all battery or we should jump right to all fuel cell electric. And, you know, there's there's a little bit of a debate going on in those two communities of which which power plant is better, which one is cleaner. The fact is both of those have room for improvement and Toyota sees that. And currently we look at it and we say, okay, we could create a pure battery electric vehicle. And and we will. We've already announced that we're introducing battery electric vehicles into the marketplace. But a battery electric vehicle takes anywhere from 30 to 40 kilowatt battery to power it. A Prius takes 1.5. So if you do the math, we can, we can create about 1.5 million hybrid vehicles or we can create somewhere in the, the area of about 26,000 battery electric vehicles. And, and in our eyes... That really does make a broader impact if you can introduce something that doesn't change consumer behavior, like a hybrid system. So that's the reason, as a, as a interim step to going to full electric vehicles, we see hybrids as playing a huge role in that. So, you know, over the next 10 to 15 years, hybrids will be a bigger portion of our portfolio, but we'll continue to, to work on the technology for batteries. We'll make batteries better. And I think you've mentioned something that is important to us as well as uh, as a company that really believes in climate change and making an impact in that in that space. We do need to be profitable in our operations so that we can fund those type of projects and look at how we make those projects profitable themselves, so we can continue to do more and more things. Absolutely, and that's and one of the things about sustainability is just that it's economic sustainability as well as sustainability in what we do. Uh, for the environment around us. So as we, as my job uh, is to make sure as we move forward in the sustainability space that we are making the company sustainable in an economic standpoint as well as in what our footprint is and how we're reducing that. You know, one of the big things in the world today is about investor relations. And investor relations, they're concerned more and more and more about how a company is being corporately responsible. And that means also in the environmental space. So those are things that we really need to be conscious about as a company and as a corporation that we don't lose the trust and the faith of one, our customers for trying to do the right thing, but that of our investor base. So it's a very complicated world. And uh, we we need to be conscious of all these things. Well, you you have a big pair of shoulders, Kevin. So we're putting it on you as an organization. Uh, I, I'll take care of it tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> but we really appreciate your time, Kevin. That was great. Thank you for breaking that down for us and for our listeners. I know I learned a lot. Yeah, me too. Well, it was my pleasure, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to to be here. And, and you know, if any of the folks out there listening to this uh, have any questions, you know, that's what we're here for. 
give us a, a call and get in touch and we'll try to help you out. As a special bonus feature for our Earth Month podcast, we're going to do a little a little segment called Hybrid 101 with Russ Cobley. Who Russ, knows everything about hybrid? <laughs> Russ, break it down for us. Just, you know, for those of us who aren't as um, knowledgeable about all the various technologies and fuel capabilities, tell us about the hybrid. Teach us. Yeah. I mean, I think the one that everybody knows is the internal combustion engine, which runs on yes. fuel, right? Diesel or gasoline yes. or some form My of fuel. My forerunner. Yes, your forerunner. Runs on fuel. <laughs> um, and actually, uh, the majority of vehicles that are sold in the U.S. are still you know, internal combustion engines. Yeah. Hybrid is taking an electric motor, a battery, and a power control unit and adding that to your vehicle. So the electric motor adds uh, drive power to the wheels. Um, it's a combination of using the internal combustion engine, but supplementing that with um, a battery and electric motors. So that actually gives us the ability to get much better gas mileage. The standard one, I think the one that's most ubiquitous and everybody knows is Prius, mm -hmm. right? And that really was the beginning of the hybrid era for the United States and, and the world, actually. So when it comes to hybrid, there is one that you have to plug in and one that you do not. So one just runs on, on battery. How do you recharge that battery? So in the case of a plug-in hybrid vehicle, mm -hmm. so a plug-in hybrid, hybrid vehicle, so I'll back up for a second, because okay. Prius is a combination of an internal combustion engine and a battery. There is yeah. no plug. You put the gas in, uh, we recharge the battery uh, using the electric motor or regenerative braking, uh, and that recharges the battery all the time. So when okay. you push on the brake, um, the friction I of the brake slowing down, <laughs> the yeah. friction of the vehicle oh. recharges the battery. I, I actually did not know that. It's called regenerative braking, yes. Okay. So that's a part of all hybrids. So we, we try to use kinetic energy to recharge yeah. the battery. Um, in the case of a plug-in hybrid vehicle, you can actually recharge the battery by plugging in it overnight, and it gives you a little bit more range on just electric. So in the case of a Prius, it can run off just the electric uh, portion of mm -hmm. the uh, battery at low speeds. Plug-in hybrid will give you a little bit longer range on pure electric. And mm -hmm. that's the Prius Prime. That's the Prius Prime, yes. That's our version of the plug-in hybrid vehicle. Okay. Um, the next step would be full electrification. And there are two forms of those that are currently out there right now. Pure battery electric vehicle. And then there's also the fuel cell electric vehicle. The components are pretty close to the same. What you're replacing is the internal combustion engine in that case. You still have electric motors. Mm -hmm. You still have batteries, different size batteries, depending on which yeah. application you're using, and a power control unit. So in the case of you know a battery electric vehicle, you're replacing the internal combustion engine with a lot more batteries. So you're just... You're plugging your vehicle in at the end of the night. You're recharging that battery, and then you're using that. And there's a range um, yeah. that they can go up to, you know, anywhere from 40 miles. I think the Bolt is about 40 miles on a full charge, all the way up to a couple hundred mm -hmm. uh, for some manufacturers. So in that case, you're, you're using an external power source to charge the battery. Yeah. In the case of fuel cell electric vehicles, we're actually using hydrogen on board. Through a chemical process, we're not actually uh, charging, you know, burning any hydrogen. It's actually converting uh, the hydrogen to electricity when you mix it with oxygen. Uh, it creates electricity, and then the only emission is water vapor out of the tailpipe. So in the case of the, the Mirai, mm -hmm. we're actually creating the electricity on board. There is no external source except for the hydrogen. 
um, which you feel, uh, it's a compressed gas currently. Mm -hmm. uh, you feel that at a fueling station yeah. um, and that's about three to five minutes. Yeah. And I think the the main fueling stations that are available in the United States are, are all in California, the, right? Yeah, yeah. There's 39 of them uh, okay. in the United States. One, 30, I think it's 38 in, uh, in uh, California and one in Hawaii. Oh, okay. Um, but we're seeing more and more stations being built. Um, the Northeast is kind of the next territory that's going to be getting stations. Canada, Europe, uh, Asia yeah. is starting to use them. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. The, the nice thing about fuel cell electric, and I will say that Toyota takes a portfolio approach. We mm -hmm. will have every single one of those in our lineup. The you know internal yeah. combustion engine hybrid plug-in hybrid, battery electric, and fuel cell. And the reason that we say that is because they have different applications that they work best for. Yeah. So fuel cell electric, the, the, the advantage we see there is the current Mirai will go 312 miles on a, on a tank of gas, which is very similar to a current internal combustion engine, yeah. but you get zero emissions. It fuels in three to five minutes, so you're not charging it overnight. So we, we see that as an advantage to people in not changing consumer behavior. So if the average person were to go to a Toyota dealership and we're looking at the models offered, what would be the benefit, aside from the obviously like altruistic benefit of, of helping the environment, what would be, what are some benefits to, to choosing one of the other options over an internal combustion engine? Well, I think there's a couple things. Um, it, number one, I think, you, you know, you always have to think that you're doing better for the environment. Right. I know that's not everybody's, you know, cup of tea, as it were. Um, <laughs> cup of hydrogen. Cup of hydrogen, sure. <laughs> or water emission out of the tailpipe, sure. But the other is you can tune an electric motor to do a lot of things. And in a lot of cases, you can get more power. They're fun to drive. There's also the, the quiet factor. So you're not yeah. getting a lot of the noise vibration and harshness that you get out of an internal combustion engine. Yeah, I think people would find that to be really surprising that the hybrid versions are fun to drive because, you know, they probably think that they're slower. Right. And that, that has historically, I wouldn't say has been the case, but I mean... They're, they're not, they weren't originally set up as, you know, uh, <laughs> speedsters. Speed. Yeah, built for speed. But <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, yeah. as battery technology has gotten better, you know, we're starting to see longer battery life, more charge in the batteries, different ways of attacking that. So we're able to put more performance back into the vehicles. And you're seeing that in a lot of cases. I know the new uh, RAV yeah. hybrid that's coming out soon. It's so nice. Is a, it's a fast vehicle. I, I drove it recently. It was fantastic. Yeah. I think a lot of people were also not hesitant, but you know, there was a certain look to hybrid vehicles for a long time, right? Yeah. I mean, people that love Prius love Prius and we love that. But, you know, the the new RAV that's coming out what like this now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, the the hybrid version is it doesn't it doesn't look really that different than the than the standard model. So We've really come a long way with the design and, you know, the drivability, the performance, et cetera. So, yeah. And that's, a, you know, I think it's important that people acknowledge that one technology, new technology like battery electric vehicle or fuel cell electric vehicle isn't going to replace the whole fleet. And mm -hmm. when I say the fleet, I mean everything that's driving on the roads right. in the United States today. Yeah. The average life of a vehicle these days is almost 11 years, right? So, wow. there's a lot of vehicles yeah. on the road and we're selling almost you know, as an industry, almost 16 million vehicles a year. I'm not a math major, so I'm not going to try to do that math, but <laughs> it's a lot of vehicles, yeah. right? So Toyota is really taking this approach that there are going to be interim steps. And one of the, the main steps that we're taking, just like 
RAV4. We just introduced the Corolla. Doesn't look any different, but it's got a hybrid, you know, powertrain. So much better gas mileage, right? And so less emissions out of the mm -hmm. tailpipe. Those are all important things. And that's why we've committed to putting a hybrid variant of every vehicle that we sell on the road uh, in the very near future. By 2025, I believe, is the date that we've publicly said. So we're really working hard as the models change to add a hybrid variant to that. And as that choice and our comfort with the technology expands, the transition will happen more and more quickly. I mean, there are people who still have landlines, but not very many of them. <laughs> as, you know, we all kind of now feel we're very comfortable with cell phone technology. We're very comfortable with cutting cords. We're very, mm -hmm. you know, kind of moving away. It seems ridiculous to my colleague, Kelsey, for example, <laughs> that there are still some of us who have landlines. And write checks. And write and checks. Write checks yes. Exactly. I mean, it's, I, I would imagine that, you know, for more and more people, the choice will be so vast in other things mm -hmm. that there doesn't seem to be a compelling argument for, for gas once yeah. these things yeah. really take hold. Yeah. So in honor of Earth Month, if you're in the market to buy a car, give the hybrid version a whirl and see and see how it drives in comparison to what Highlander, you're used Corolla, to. Highlander, Corolla, Avalon, Camry. <laughs> We're going to plug uh, every, yeah, exactly. every model we have. Yeah. My particular favorite is the RAV. It just, it comes out soon and it's really sharp. So this has been Hybrid 101. <laughs> <laughs> so when we first started this project, you know, the port put out the challenge of, you know, the Clean Air Act and how, you know, Toyota has a big presence in the port of Los Angeles. That's where we import our cars and parts. So we've had a long history with the port. So when they put this challenge out there, we thought we have a solution and it's actually packaged in a Mirai fuel cell electric sedan. And so our engineering team decided that they thought they could take two of those fuel cell stacks and put them in a semi to see if it works. The first truck that we did with that, we actually went to uh, Kenworth, who is now a partner of ours, but mm -hmm. unbeknownst to them, they sell a product called a glider. And that glider actually is just the truck without a power plant. So that's what we originally purchased. Um, it's just an empty shell? It's just an empty shell. Yeah, it has the cab and it has mm -hmm. the right. seats and it has yeah. everything. It just doesn't have a motor. So oh. we purchased that and that's what we used to build the first truck. So the first thing we had to do was see, is it possible? And our engineering team did a fantastic job in making that actually happen. So they decided they were going to build a second one uh, as another proof concept to prove that, you know, and to learn. Yeah. I mean, it's a Toyota way is to learn from right. the first one Take and say, apart, what can we do? It. Yeah, exactly. What can we do better? Um, so in a little bit of partnership with, with Kenworth, we kind of went to them and said, hey, by the way, we kind of did this. Would you guys be interested in mm -hmm. being involved? And, and they did a little bit of technical consulting on it for us for the second truck. So for all intents and purposes, what it consumers like will a, see, it looks like a regular semi class eight semi-truck. Yep. So where do the fuel stacks go? So the fuel cell stacks are actually kind of underneath the real low center of gravity. So okay. they're very down towards the bottom of the truck. We use the back portion of the cab for the, the hydrogen fuel cell tanks. Is that like the sleeper part? Like where the, okay. Yeah. Uh, well, and in a lot of cases, drayage doesn't have a sleeper. Right. It's just the day, what they would call a day cab. Mm -hmm. uh, but then there's a compartment behind that. Because drayage is, and when we're talking about the port of Los Angeles and Long Beach, it's short, it's a shorter... Shorter like, hauls. Yeah. yeah. It's typically, you know, taking it from either not directly off the ship. They have mm -hmm. another truck that they use to yeah. stack the, the containers. 
Uh, drayage then takes them from you know the port to the facility. So they're typically inland a few few miles from the port. So whether it be Toyota or Amazon or anybody else, they're yeah. taking it to a warehouse. So we're talking about thousands of trucks basically doing laps, you know, yeah. up and down the same strip of road. Yes, all yeah. day belching <laughs> unhealthy yeah. emissions. Yeah, the the, the number I've heard is uh, like 15,000 going yeah. in and out of the port of Los Angeles. Yeah. So it's Which is uh, which is why I think when I think Arlie mentioned the uh, particulates in the area being so high for the citizens that are there around it. I mean, the trucks are just going back and forth and back and forth. Well, and they get congregated in that small mm-hmm. area, right? They're going out to different locations, but at the, you know, when they're at the port, it's a very small, yeah. you know, geographic footprint. So you're putting a lot of trucks in a very small space. So. Right. So when it came to the, I think you were talking about the engineering um, of the truck. In natural Toyota way, we decided that we had to test the limits and test the abilities of the truck, right? So I don't know where that happened, but there's a video out there of the fuel cell truck basically drag racing against a diesel truck, right? Uh, Yes. Yeah. So it's a side by... it wasn't a drag race, but we did a video that was a kind of a side-by-side like side comparison. Kelsey wanted it to be a drag race. <laughs> drag race. Yeah. Well, not many people think of drag racing semi-trucks, but our engineers <laughs> are creative and they wanted to show that, you know, there's there's pulling power. There, you know, it's an electric vehicle at the end yeah. of the day. So what you know, there's a couple things that you need. You need a, a bigger motor that can, you know, put out more torque. And electric motors have a lot of torque. That's yeah. what they use in diesel train or trains to get trains going, is electric motors. So you know, we did the side-by-side comparison and, and you can see uh, it's available on YouTube. Um, you oh, can yeah, see, at the Toyota YouTube site. There you go. Yes. But you can see that drag race and it is much quicker uh, than a standard diesel truck uh, for a couple of reasons. Because as I mentioned, the torque is direct and it's continuous. So you're not shifting gears with uh, that vehicle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so um, the other advantage of it is is actually one people don't really think of, but noise. So a fuel cell yeah. electric vehicle is very quiet. There is some whirring of motors and the electric motors and stuff, but you don't have that diesel, you know, kind of clatter that right. they say, and I'm using air quotes here, but mm-hmm. there's kind of that diesel clatter that you hear when they're going down the road. So yeah. huge, huge advantage. It's awesome. The performance of the truck, it can pull. So in the United States, the total gross vehicle weight, the maximum you can have is 80,000 pounds. Mm-hmm. Now, the truck can pull more than that. It can yeah. haul more than that. But that's the requirement that's put on every every vehicle. Uh, and and this truck does it pretty easily. So the, the guys that we talk to are drivers mm-hmm. uh, who are running around every day uh, with these trucks, testing them. They're putting on test mileage. Uh, the first truck that we have has well over 10,000 miles on it now. The yeah. second truck... Has a has a few thousand miles, so there's a couple advantages for drivers. You know the the lack of noise, but then they're also smooth. They're a little bit smoother than a diesel truck. They ride smoother because of the low center of gravity and the way that we've kind of laid out the uh, the truck. So obviously, this would just be like speculation, but because this has worked so well in the port of Los Angeles and Long Beach, what's stopping everybody from just using all hydrogen trucks. Well, I think it's the same thing that's that's kind of a, a barrier right now for hydrogen fuel cell vehicles in general, and it's infrastructure and mm, it's number true. of vehicles yeah. available. So it's still an emerging technology in the automotive space. Hydrogen fuel cells have been around since the Apollo days, 
Right, the Apollo missions to space actually used hydrogen fuel cells to generate electricity, heat, and water for the crew. Now we've just adapted it. Now some of the materials have gotten better; they're much yeah. more efficient. Right. But it's it's an interesting you know beginning to it. So it's taking a, an older technology and repurposing it. Well, to that point, we've so we have a couple of significant partnerships with Project Portal, Kenworth being one. But Shell is also a partner. Can you tell us a little bit how that? works. Yeah, we, we've actually had a uh, relationship with Shell um, and a couple other fuel providers along with Honda and Hyundai. Currently, uh, Toyota, Honda, and Hyundai are the only ones selling uh, hydrogen fuel cell vehicles. And I'll, I'll plug a quote-unquote competitor. But in this space, we don't necessarily see them as competitors. We know that in order to get this technology and this economy yeah, off together. the ground, we have to work together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, we've been talking about this 15,000 trucks going in and out of the port, but another f- figure we've heard is 2 million trucks daily on U.S. highways. So even though ports are very concentrated and the, mm-hmm. there's a mm-hmm. lot happening, there's a lot of trucks congregating, a lot of trucks polluting or, you know, soon not to be polluting. In the bigger picture, areas where there's a lot of drayage going along highways and through cities, there's also extra pollution right. that will one day be reduced. Yeah, yeah and we, we actually see it as an advantage to be in this space that will eventually help sell more sedans, right? Because there's some advantages to long-haul trucks and drayage trucks, right? You're able to put a fueling station at set locations. That infrastructure yeah. then becomes more economically viable for you know, when you know that you have a set number right. of uh, routes that you need to Because it's run. kind of like when you're on like a major highway, you're on a road trip and you see the, the pull-off areas where they have to get weighed yep. and stuff like that. So it would be like a dedicated hydrogen Yep, And, and truck area. stops, right? We've yeah, all seen trucks, truck stops truck along stops, the, yeah. the freeways and, yeah. and you know. And the best food. <laughs> and showers. <laughs> and showers. Buc- shout out Bucky's. We love you. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> beaver nuggets. Uh, Fantastic. Beaver nuggets. Yeah, um, it just took a turn. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, putting that infrastructure in place gives us an automatic mm-hmm. place to do it for sedans if we can fuel semi-trucks. Yes, that's you know, so true. Yeah. That it, that expands our capabilities. And, and you know, I think Arlie mentioned earlier that private-public uh, relationship. Mm-hmm. Those are much easier to do when you have large corporations yeah, you know, working with, you know, you know the, pri- or the public sector as yeah. well. So basically to sum up, we at Toyota obviously feel that uh, hydrogen fuel cells are obviously a scalable method, a scalable alternative powertrain that people may not know a lot about. And so in honor of Earth Month, we're doing our part in educating the consumers about hydrogen and and how it could really help the environment in the future. We have a lot of information on hydrogen fuel cells on our toyota.com Mirai page. So if you search toyota.com and go to our Mirai page, we'll tell you how it works, how the fuel is created, the partnerships that we have. So I encourage all of your listeners to, to educate. Here's your Earth Month tip to close this segment out. Go to toyota.com and check out the environmental page and learn about the Mirai. And you can say that you did your part to learn about the environment. 